Well, good morning. My name's uh, Tony. I'm the youth director here at City Reach. Um, I'm preaching on late notice. Not too late, but um, late enough. Uh, and we're going to be doing, we're having a break from our normal series in Simon Peter, The Read and the Rock. And we're, for these holidays, we're just going to look at uh, this series called Growing in Grace. Growing in Grace. And your first lesson in the school of growing in grace is hearing me preach. So um, hopefully it goes all right. As Jeremy and Josh said at church camp, enthusiasm high, expectations low. All right. It's usually what happens in the holidays when our pastors are on leave with their families. But we've got to ask the question as we introduce the little series we're going to do is why do we need to grow in grace? Why do we even need to grow in grace? I think it's a a common misconception that the gospel of grace is only relevant to our salvation. We we think about uh, Ephesians chapter 2, is by grace we are saved through faith. And we see grace as this redeeming power of God, that he just shine his face upon us and give us his grace. But we only think about it as if it's the door that enters into uh, Christianity enters into grace is this door that we walk through. But it's not just the door, it's the whole building. Grace, the gospel of grace is the whole building by which we sit under, by, uh, under during our whole uh, Christian lives, through our whole walk. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we walk with him and follow him, we need to be growing in our self-awareness of who we are and who he is. We need to be becoming more and more aware of how broken we are. And we need to be becoming more and more aware of how wonderful he is and how beautiful he is and how much we need him and how much we need his grace. But not just uh, grace in the aspect of our relationship with God, but also grace with one another. We need to be growing in grace together. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the grace of confession. Grace of confession. And uh, Mal read out for a psalm... 51, and I really um, urge you to follow along with, in God's word with me. That way, all the pressure's off me, and God can speak to you through his word. I wonder, though, if we're meant to be growing in grace and growing in our relationship with God every day, do you find verse 3 a little too relatable, as we read it this morning? For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. How can we be growing in grace when we feel as though sin is just always there? It's ever before me. Or as verse 5 says, in sin did my mother conceive me. Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, when he's in the presence of God, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips that dwells among people of unclean lips. How are we meant to grow in grace when we're surrounded by sin in our own life but also surrounded by sin in this whole world. And the context to Psalm 51, which Mao alluded to already, is a very serious story. It comes from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And King David is the most powerful man in the world at the time. Israel is at the height of its power, and God has blessed David immensely. He's blessed him spiritually, He's promised that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. The Messiah would come through David. But 
just on a secular level, just in this physical realm, God had blessed him immensely. He'd given him so much. And um, David should have been off at war with his army, but instead he decided to stay home in Jerusalem during the war season. He saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop near his palace, and he commanded that Bathsheba come and spend the night with him. We don't talk too much about the fact that that would have been against Bathsheba's will. What David said went because he was the king. Bathsheba fell pregnant because of this, and David tried to cover up his sin even further uh, by getting Uriah, trying to trick Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, to come home and sleep with her. Didn't work out, so then David orchestrated the murder of Uriah, and then he could take Bathsheba as his own wife. He's already had a few wives by now as well. Now, uh, chapter 12 is Nathan the prophet coming to David and telling him this parable of this rich man who had thousands of sheep and he wanted to throw a banquet for a visiting friend. So instead of taking one of his thousands of sheep, the rich man took this poor man's one lamb whom he loved and had that one slaughtered for the banquet. And David was furious by the story and he commanded that, let me know who this man is so we can bring him to justice. And Nathan the prophet said those damning words to David, you are the man. Now, and, and as a result, we have Psalm 51. This is how David responded to that confrontation of his sin. And one of my pet peeves um, when we talk about characters in the Bible is we try to make ourselves feel better. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet look at the mistakes he made. Isn't it wonderful that God can use someone like David, despite all of his flaws and all the, his, his mistakes? Now, one, that's annoying because this wasn't just a mistake. This wasn't an oopsie-daisy. This was a serious, heinous sin. And much like the kids talked this morning, he tried to cover it up. But not just that. Contrary to what was the norm back then, David, in his position, didn't have to have this attitude. He could have continued to cover it up. Cover it up. Normally, he would have just had Nathan put to death for confronting him. But the thing that makes David a man after God's own heart is that he has a humble heart. He has a humble and a contrite heart. And he is willing to face up to his, his sin rather than cover it up further. And so this morning, um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk through in no particular order of Psalm 51. And, and I'm going to ask some questions. And if, uh, if we have a heart like David, a humble and contrite one, these questions are going to be very challenging. And so I just ask you to have, a, like David, an open heart, an open mind, um, and let God speak to you as you try to answer these questions. The first question I'd ask is, do you know your sin? Do you know your sin? For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Do you know your sin, or are you blinded to your sin? Do you not see it for what it is? Because if we're growing in grace, we should be becoming more and more aware of our sin and our brokenness, more and more aware of our need of grace. And quite often, what stops us from seeing our sin is our pride. Is pride blocking your awareness of your sin? Because if we're growing in grace, we should be becoming more and more humble and less and less proud. 
So if we're struggling to see our sin, I think it's stunting our growth in grace. How, do we, how can we know if pride has blinded us to our sin? Well, when you're confronted with it, the first thing you'll do is justify it. Now, you might try and justify it through different means. You might be quick to point it out in other people, pass the blame to other people. Quite often what you might do is pass the blame to certain circumstances in your life. Or what's the normal way of behaving in this world? But David doesn't do that. We have to understand, this is a jarring story to hear what David did um, 3,000 years later. But 3,000 years ago, what David did was perfectly culturally acceptable in his time. The king of a nation could do whatever he wanted. He could take whatever woman he wanted, and he could orchestrate the death of anybody. But when confronted with his sin, David didn't get angry at Nathan. He didn't try to hide it or cover it up or see what was, you know, explain it away by what was culturally acceptable. He stood up... stood up to his sin and he confessed it. And what we often do when we're confronted with our sin is we try to justify and explain it away. It's culturally acceptable. Everybody's doing this. What's the, one of the most common things that I see is when someone's not even confronted or just maybe just something in their life is brought to the surface where they've a, an indiscrepancy, a failure in their life, the first thing they'll do is I'll say, I've just been really tired. I've just been really stressed. And somehow or other, that justifies flying off the handle at people and getting angry. Since when is it okay to treat other people like dirt because you're tired? Or because your circumstances are stressful? Since when is it okay to give in to sexual temptation because you're just feeling a bit stressed? David doesn't do that. He's not blinded by his sin. And so I'd ask you again, do you know your sin? Do you know your sin? Next question that I'd ask is, do you know who you've sinned against? Do you know who you've sinned against? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, this does not exclude what David has done to Bathsheba and to Uriah's family. He's done a terrible thing to them. I'm sure that he dealt with it. But he's conversing with God and he's talking to God and he's acknowledging that ultimately he sinned against God. Tim Keller, I feel like, sums this up really well in one of his devotionals. Lord, when I sin against others and even myself, I'm ultimately sinning against you because we we are all made for your possessions whom you love. When I sin, I don't just break your laws but trample on your heart. Help me to grasp that, because it helps me not just to admit my sins, but forsake them. Sinning against others and sinning against yourself is sinning against a holy God, as we were created in his image. And I don't think the church, let alone the world, truly acknowledges the seriousness of sin and see it for how disgusting it really is in the eyes of a holy God. It is an unholy act towards a holy God who is perfect. And that is why, because of his perfection, because of his holiness, verse 4, he says, you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
He has the right to judge us. He can judge us because he is perfect and we are not. In verse 9, it says, hide your, your face from my sins. God can't look at sin. He can't look, a holy God can't look at unholiness. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God has every right to cast out sin. If he sees it, he can't look at it. He has every right to cast it out and not be in its presence. And this, this doesn't gel well, very well with our generation. I, I don't know who made this quote 100%, but I like it. The gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they are perfect, loving themselves is virtuous, their heart is always right, their mistakes are someone or something else's fault, and nothing is more important than being happy. It's a very jarring thing to hear that a holy God is not happy with our sin. And we need to acknowledge who we have sinned against. Like Nathan does with David, he compares it to grabbing something, taking something that is not your own. Sinning against God is like a rich man with thousands of sheep taking a poor man's beloved lamb. The book of um, Hosea, it struck me afresh this week that God compares his relationship with Israel, their constant idolatry, their constant sin against him, that it was like being married to a prostitute that he's redeemed them out of that lifestyle, he's redeemed them and saved them, but yet they still turn away from him, they still keep going back to their sin. And how much that breaks God's heart. And when we understand, when we grow in grace and we become more aware of who God is, how holy he is, how wonderful he is, we realise then who we've sinned against. And as we become more aware of his holiness, holiness, we become more aware of our brokenness, and our sin becomes so much more evident. The last, not the last, but the next question in this part I'd ask you is, do you know what needs to happen? In verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do you know why you sin. We've already talked about circumstances, and circumstances, don't hear me wrong, they do add to the context. They do make things harder, yes. But we can't blame our sin on the circumstances or on other people or justify it. But there is a reason that we have sinned, and it's not just the circumstances. See, the heart of the issue is the heart. And we need to come to God and we need to confess specific sin in our life, yes. But what, what true repentance is, is not saying, I repent of this sin and I'm not going to do it anymore. The sin isn't actually the problem. The problem is the sinner. So God doesn't just need to deal with the sin. He needs to deal with the sinner. And that's why the language of Psalm 51, David says things like, cleanse me, purge me with hyssop, wash me, and I'll be white as snow. Again, that doesn't feel nice, does it? Especially when you've been told you're perfect, especially when you've been told you're pretty good or deep down you think you're all right. To know that the problem is actually our heart, that that's that's what actually needs cleansing and purifying, is a hard thing to grasp. 
God just doesn't want to deal with the sin. He wants to deal with the sinner. He wants to deal with the heart of the issue. Now, one question you might have is, uh, how is confession grace? How is confession grace? Because we think about the word grace, and that's a warm feeling word, isn't it? We think about it in relation to salvation, God just giving us what we don't deserve. What a nice thing. But then the word confession, that's a dirty word. That makes us feel vulnerable. How is grace confession? Well, if you ever reach a point where you've confessed something, you want to confess something before a holy God, that's not on you. We have this danger of thinking, treating confession like religion and actually giving ourselves a pat on the back like, look at me go. I'm confessing my sin like a good Christian. But because of our brokenness, as we grow in grace, we become more aware of this. Because of our brokenness, we are incapable of reaching out to a holy God. The only way that you can reach out to, to a holy God is by him working in your life. He gave you the grace and the mercy to do that. And so when you reach a point of confession, when you call out for his grace, you've actually already got it. Because in our brokenness, we are incapable of calling out for God's grace. God's grace is upon you when you come to this point of confession. Now, what do I need to confess? What do we need to confess? Now, we shouldn't be ignorant or naive that just because we're in a church that there aren't some heinous sins being committed. Like, we're all broken, right? I've said it so many times this morning. We're all broken. We're all susceptible to sin. And don't see it as an accident that you're in this, in this room this morning in your chair and it just so happens that we're looking at Psalm 51, talking about confession. And the context of Psalm 51 is very serious. Let's not kid ourselves that some of us in the room this morning, there might be a various sin to confess. There may be a habitual sin that needs to be confessed. And don't, don't take God's timing and his, his grace and mercy in your life to bring you to this position, the timing that we're looking at this passage. Don't take that lightly. He wants you to confess something maybe. But for many of us, the temptation is to be like, well, I'm not an adulterous murderer, so this isn't for me. I've, I've got nothing to confess. Um, everything's pretty hunky-dory at the moment. But if that's, I challenge you, that if that's the first place, if that's what you're saying, then I'll challenge you to go back and watch the video and listen to the first third of the sermon. But if that's the first place that our heart goes, that we're automatically like, well, this isn't for me. I'm not, I'm not David. I haven't been giving in to sin. I've been pretty good. Um, other people have. That's the first place your mind and heart goes, then I challenge you that maybe what you need to confess is that you have a self-righteous religious heart. And that maybe you need to confess a pharisaical attitude. That you've been going through the motions of church tradition and church religion, 
And what you need to confess before God is, is, a, is a heart that's not actually relying on him, it's relying on your own works. And God doesn't care for empty, comfortable religion. As verse 16 says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. We need to confess if we have been relying on our own religious activity rather than God's saving grace. God doesn't care for empty, comfortable religion. He cares for your vulnerable heart of faith. Maybe you need to confess this morning that there's been pride blocking you from seeing your sin. Maybe you need to confess bitterness towards someone else. Maybe kids, you you know, we, we talk about the heart of the issue. You've been struggling with authority. You've been struggling with your parents and fighting and back chatting. Maybe you need to confess not just the sin, but what's behind it in that your heart is saying, I know best. I know better than my parents. Maybe you need to confess this morning that you're struggling. And in your pride and in your religion, you don't want to admit that you're struggling. You could confess this morning that, God, I'm actually really struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with the purpose of everything. Maybe for a lot of you, there's nothing to confess. And that's awesome. But here's something that's applicable for all of us. We all need to confess who he is and who we are. It says in Philippians that one day everyone's going to do it anyway. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we think about confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the first place our mind often goes is just salvation issue. Romans 10.9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. We're thinking about it just as the door, but it's a building. We don't just confess it once and never again. We need to keep doing it. We need to keep confessing who he is, how wonderful he is, how beautiful he is, how powerful he is. And as we ponder that anew and confess that with our mouth, as we sing praises to him and read his word, as we ponder how wonderful he is, we start to realize, wow, I'm actually really broken, aren't I? So we start to confess how broken we are and how much we need him. And this is how we grow in grace. This is how we grow closer in our relationship with him by confessing who he is and who we are. We need to be confessing something. Um, How do I know that we should be confessing something? One key symptom of the need to confess is that maybe your life has been a little bit joyless lately. That there's this weight on you that something needs to be, this burden needs to be lifted on you. As verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Are you feeling the joy of God's salvation lately? Or have you been wrestling and struggling? Ray Ortland says this, people living with unconfessed sin groan. They, can, they groan about this and they groan about that. But really they're admitting that they have sinned still unconfessed. Their strength is dried up, they are sluggish, unmotivated, always looking for ways to minimise their obedience because the joy is gone. As you confess 
we talk about the word confession. It's a vulnerable word. It sounds like a yucky word, but it's actually a freeing thing to do. It gives you freedom. And as you take what's happening in the recesses of your heart, that's happening in the darkness, and you drag it into the light, it has no power over you anymore. And it will free you and give you joy again. The joy of God's salvation will return to you. As Romans 6 says, consider yourselves dead to sin. You can't conquer a sin that you deny even exists. So we need to be more aware of our sin. We need to be more aware of who we sinned against. We need to be aware of what needs to happen. And when we confess this to the Lord, the joy will return. So I'd sum up this little part before I land the plane. What do you need to confess? My temptation is to try and lead you. Maybe you need to confess this or confess that. But this is between you and God. What's going on in your heart? What do you need to confess? Is it a sin? Is it a struggle? You just need to be confessing in humility more how wonderful he is. How do I confess? How do I confess? In, with our religious hearts, we quite often can treat this as a formula. If we say this, this, and this, you know, some of our um, other Christian brothers and sisters have fallen into this trap, treating confession as a religion. But confession is not about doing this, this, and this. It's about having a humble and a contrite heart. God doesn't care for your comfortable, empty religious activities. What he wants is a vulnerable heart of faith, a humble and a contrite heart. So confessing to God is not about coming to saying, dear God, this, this. It's coming to saying, God, here it is. Here I am. This is me. In humility, in contriteness, I can, I'm confessing. And then as someone pointed out to me, something that I missed in the first service is once our hearts are right, once our hearts are humble and contrite, then God cares about our sacrifices. Verse 19 says, then you will delight in right right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. God cares about your heart first before any religious activity. The last question I'd ask is, do you know how much it cost? Do you know how much it cost? You might have noticed that I just completely missed verses 1 and 2. I started getting into the text. This is some of the most beautiful words in the psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. You know, the reason that God can blot out our transgression. Because he's a holy God, he had to deal with it. The reason that he can blot out our transgression, that he can cleanse us, is because Jesus paid the price on the cross. He took our unrighteousness, he took our transgressions, and he paid for that on the cross. It was mentioned so simply and beautifully with the kids this morning. And verse 9 says, Hide your face from my sin. God the Father had to hide his face from Jesus the Son because he was bearing your sin and your transgression. So that is how a holy God can cleanse you and forgive you because the price is paid. 
1 John 9.10 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David is not calling on the mercy of a God who only has a little bit of mercy or not much. He's calling on a God, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, a love that does not change, is not based on circumstances, unlike us. And he's not calling on a little bit of mercy, he's calling on abundant mercy. Mercy that just keeps giving and giving and giving. And what sort of a God? Some of you might be thinking, because the confession, the whole topic is jarring, it's uncomfortable. Some of you might be thinking that God's trying to trick me if I confess to him. And maybe that's from an experience that you've had in your own life. You're encouraged to confess and you're met with punishment about it. But God is not trying to encourage you or goad you into confession. And when you come to him, he's waiting there with a two by four, ready to beat you over the head. God is not a cruel, tyrannical God. When he invites you and encourages you to come to him in confession, he's not waiting there with a two by four. He's waiting there with open arms ready to receive you. I mentioned before Hosea and how God compared the sin of Israel to being like married to a prostitute. It was such hard work for him. It broke his heart. But God's attitude towards Israel was he, wanted to, he yearned to take Israel back and to speak tenderly to them. Speak tenderly to her and woo her back. Not only is God a God who's welcoming us with open arms. He's also given us each other. James 5.16 Confess your sins one to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'll invite the band back up as I, I finish. And we've, we've already talked about what do you need to confess and how you do it. And it's not about this, this, and this. But for some of you, you might be thinking, I there's something in particular that I can't confess with this certain person. I can't confess to the whole church. And now, confession isn't about saying, dear Facebook, this is what's going on with me. Sometimes confession is between you and God, and that's a beautiful thing. But God has given us each other. He's given us each other. And so find someone you trust. Don't go home and don't forget it. If God has spoken to you, as I said, there's not an accident that we're talking about this passage, this topic this morning. There's a reason for it. Speak to someone that you trust. Let them pray for you. Let you be healed. Find victory over your sin and grow in grace. And if you're still scared about coming before this holy God, deep down you're thinking, how could he really love me? Let the words of this next song speak to you. This, this is the gospel. His love is immeasurable, powerful to save. Let me pray for you guys quickly. Dear Lord, I just I praise you that you're not a tyrant. You're not a cruel God. You desire our confession. You desire our humility. 
desire a contrite heart. You will not despise that, Lord. That's what you want. And you don't want it because you're some egotistical God that wants what's best for you. You want what is best for us. I just praise you that you desire this confession, you desire this openness before you, but you also made it possible through the death of your son. Lord, I praise you for your infinite wisdom. And I praise you that you are, your love is just immeasurable. It's so vast, so incomprehensible, and that when we come to you, you're not waiting to beat us over the head. You're waiting, with us, waiting for us with open arms. I just ask that you'd speak to hearts, especially that are struggling this morning, that something's weighing on them, that you just give them the freedom to confess a heart attitude, a sin, whatever it may be. And Lord, if nothing else, let every heart in this room confess that you are Lord, confess that you are mighty to save, that you are a beautiful, powerful, wonderful God, worthy of our worship. And let us confess that we need you. We need your grace and to keep growing in it. In your name I pray. Amen.